They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Grant Menzwar. that up a little too much yeah, i think we overshot <laughs> we did too much building anticipation for the amazing guests we have today welcome yes, everybody we thank you so much for joining us on thoughts that rock you know it's your podcast your favorite where we exchange two pieces of life-changing advice squeezed into about 30 minutes or yeah so. and i'm excited about these pieces today actually it's uh it's the week of thanksgiving brant what um mm. what are you thankful for give me two or three things that you're thankful for that's a little personal, Jim. Um, well, I mean, I'm going to give you some of mine, too. We'll do a little juxtaposition. Okay. I'm thankful for books on tape because I hate reading. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for um, awesome convenience stores like Sheets and Wawa. <laughs> I'm thankful for clean bathrooms in places like Sheets and Wawa. <laughs> Well, Listen, I'm thankful for uh, the growth of my 401k, which I had to give up three quarters of last year. <laughs> what else are you thankful for? I'm thankful for uh, uh, ramen noodles. <laughs> hmm. You know? I'm thankful for ramen noodles while watching episodes of The West Wing on Netflix. Oh, so you lost me at West Wing. You lost me at ramen noodles. <laughs> I can't stand ramen noodles. <laughs> I thought you'd maybe make fun oh, of me at the word juxtaposition. Oh, listen, I'm not into Karma Sutra, so I don't know really any of those positions at all. It's a totally different podcast, brother. Totally oh, different. It? We'd have way more followers. Yep. <laughs> listen, that's that rock. Help support Cannonball Kids Cancer. You know that. We've been talking about it since the beginning of this show. You know, they uh, fight for treatment for kids who've run out of options. Um, if you'd like to be an option for those kids, I think that would be an amazing choice on your part. You can check them out at cannonballkidscancer.org. Yeah, they are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And listen, we know how busy you are. And just grabbing a few nuggets, a, a moment or two uh, to just grab a leadership nugget to amp up your life and, and make it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. We get it. They're hard to come by. Yep. Which is why, honestly, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Right now, you could be, let's say, on the treadmill. <sighs> or you could be washing windows on a high rise. Squeak. Or loading up a FedEx truck. Uh, it doesn't really matter. My back. We want to be the 30 minutes that you've been looking forward to all week, and we're going to do it right now. Brant, let's rock it out. Let's rock. Our guest today is a rock star, honestly, in the philanthropic world. We are joined by Billy Shore, the co-founder and executive chair of Share Our Strength, which is the parent company of campaigns like No Kid Hungry, which I've actively supported for a decade. I'm a huge fan. Billy, first off, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. 
Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, and congrats on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's awesome guests like yourself, and and uh, I told Brant when we were first launching this thing, you were certainly one of the first guests we wanted to have on. Just, I've been a huge fan of the work that you've done, and you know, as we tell everybody, we're going to have you know your full bio in the show notes. But just so our our listeners will know, you know, including all the work that you did before you started doing the things you're doing now, and I know you've worked on some. Um, senatorial and presidential campaigns before starting down the path of ending hunger in America, which is fantastic. But in addition, Brant, to all of Billy's work, you know, he's been a leading voice in hunger and poverty for years. And he's also the author of four books that focus on some social change. And he's the host of a weekly podcast himself called Add Passion and Stir, which brings together high profile chefs and change makers. So you know, we're, we're sort of playing in the same space here, but yours is on a so much grander scale and, and making movements happen. We're just having a, a little bit of fun and some laughs along the way. But we're, we're just so giddy that you're here, Billy. And, um, you know, as you can probably tell from the show, we do things a little bit different. We don't we don't do the uh, traditional interview style. And uh, we're going to basically throw it over to you and ask you for your piece of advice. So let's get right to the heart of the matter. The floor is open, buddy. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. Great. Well, um, I would say our thought that rocks, and it's been kind of pervasive at Share Our Strength, and it comes up maybe even as often as once a day, um, is something that uh, the writer and activist Jonathan Kozel once said, which is to pick battles that are big enough to matter, but small enough to win. Uh, and the reason, And the, the reason that we like that is, you know, probably like, uh, you and like many who are listening to this, there are so many things and so many issues that we all care about and would love to go try to make a difference uh, against. And uh, at some point, uh, to have the fuel and the energy and the support and the resources necessary uh, to go wage those campaigns, you need to have some victories. Yeah. So this notion of picking battles that are big enough to matter uh, they're important. You, everyone gets why you're fighting them, but they're small enough to win. They're not just, you know, you're not just tilting at windmills, but you're actually going to achieve something concrete. Uh, for us, uh, that came at a time when Share Our Strength w- was involved in a lot of different anti-hunger activities. And we were a grant maker to probably 400 other organizations around the country. And they were all having a good impact, but it, we weren't able to Know what it was adding up to and we wanted to have more clarity around you know a specific outcome so this notion of you know what was big enough to matter but small enough to win when we looked at everything we were doing we realized that and this was you know relative to work in ethiopia relative to work mm-hmm. with seniors relative to work with uh all kinds of hunger issues we realized that when it came to kids in the united states children who are hungry on a chronic basis that that was a solvable problem, that that actually met the criteria big enough to matter, small enough to win, that it was solvable because we have no shortage of food and we have no shortage of food programs. And so we were convinced that, um, you know, people are particularly in this kind of politically divided era that we're all living in, people are desperate for some evidence that progress is possible. And uh, we wanted to demonstrate that. Well, and you certainly have done that too, I think. Uh, and I was sharing with Brant, he knows my love of No Kid Hungry, your specific campaign. Um, and my book, actually a portion of the proceeds goes to that specific campaign. And when I started my involvement, 
I think I remember it was something like one in five kids were going to bed hungry in the U.S. So you may have even known it to be a little bit worse than that before your work. But now the things that you've done, whether it was with, let's say, the dine out or, you know, getting school systems and, and sometimes taking a long time for some of these states to get their act together to get breakfast in the classroom or cooking matters. I know that's another program. I think, and I may be wrong here, but aren't you down to like one in seven kids are now food challenge, which is still, you know, it's not great, but that has a dramatic impact here in the U S right. Uh, it is, it is dramatic. I would say that, um, we, we think that, um, uh, about 30% fewer kids are, uh, experiencing hunger today than nice. was the case even 10 years ago. And, um, we know that some of that is tied to, uh, things that we can measure, we've added 3 million kids to the school breakfast program. And when I say we, I don't mean just the team at Sheriff Strength. I mean the anti-hunger community, uh, the broader anti-hunger community, of which we're a part. Um, but we've added 3 million kids to school breakfast. We've, been, we've built tens of thousands of summer meal sites. And, you know, at, at that scale, uh, you actually see it start to translate into impact, thus the one in seven number that you cited. Yeah. And I know I, when I first heard this quote too, I mean, I, I love it. And I think if more people knew this before they started to jump into some sort of a charitable component or some philanthropic initiative, it sure would help to, to think, you know, maybe just tackle the things that are, are again, big enough to matter, but small enough to win things that you could physically jump on board and participate in. And I've heard Cat Cole actually use that same quote. And I know Cat Cole and Amanda Hyde, a lot of our similar friends they they've all sort of that this quote itself has helped ground them in their own philanthropic initiatives or in their professional life and you know i think just coming from the hospitality industry specifically in restaurants that's always been a rally cry for us like geez if we could just get restaurants to rally together we would honestly be able to stomp out hunger or at least childhood hunger. And I just, you know, I want it to be on my watch. I want to be around and see that happen. That's one thing I think that people could actively do. And I just think this quote has, uh, it, it's, it's been phenomenal. I know you said it's a, a causal quote, but, uh, boy, we all tend to run out there and use that whenever we can. It's fantastic. Well, that's good. And I, I think the, you know, the hardest thing for most organizations, it's, there's such a simple question that's so hard to answer. Uh, and it is, you know, what does success look like for you? Can you say with clarity and precision uh, what success is when you're going to be done? <laughs> How do you know that you're finished with yeah. your, your work? And uh, if you front load the, the effort and the energy required <laughs> to answer that question, so many other things then just kind of fall into place for you, but it it, it's not an, e it's not an easy one. Well, one of the programs that our show supports is cannibal kids cancer. And, uh, you know, Brant, you probably know the stats more than anything else. I think there's a super small percentage of any type of cancer mm -hmm. research that goes to, you know, pediatric or childhood cancer. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to me because when you compare that, let's say to hunger related issues, right? We know the answer to hunger, you know, yeah. it's called food yeah. and, and Billy, right. to your point, there's plenty of it. It's just access and how people can get to it. it it's a little bit of a, a different mindset. We still support where we can, when it comes to research, that seems to be the key in, in things like cancer, but geez, for, for people that are just food starved and just knowing that kids are only eating whenever school is going on. There's, you know, for some of them, there's no dinner and there's nothing going on the weekends in summer, which was always cool and fun for us as kids is like the worst time of year for them that are when they're challenged. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think, 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, Billy, when I'm thinking through it, you know, I'm looking at the quote, it's, I think that one of the keys that, that you even mentioned earlier here is, is this small enough to win. Um, it's, it's a tough line to draw in the sand, right? Because you look at something like hunger, um, which obviously is big enough to matter, but it is a massive endeavor. Um, but I think there's got to be some sort of process to narrow down the the battle right in into into a specific area where you actually can see some wins how did you guys go about that um you know i look at it saying as jim said earlier with you know childhood cancer four percent of the money raised um for cancer research in this country four percent goes to pediatric cancer um which is insane but it's why organizations like cannonball kids cancer uh, are around and Funding, you know, I think when we start thinking about things like research for cancer, we think there, you know, you have to be talking about tens or of, of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars to move the needle. But they're funding things as small as, you know, a $25,000 grant to see if we can't get the Zika virus to actually kill cancer cells. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is um, the work that that's literally happening right in front of our eyes right now that doesn't cost a lot of money that is showing significant promise um, in, in specific cancers that are that are affecting children. I would assume it, it had to be something for you guys as well that it was like, well, this isn't just, we're not just going to end hunger. We're going to have to get a little more specific than that so that we can actually find some success right yeah i exactly and i'd say for us it was a combination of trying to be uh disciplined and diligent in uh looking at where that intersection of might be of something that's winnable uh and and probably a little bit of uh luck as well and i say that because you know as we were researching there's some things we were able to roll out we we knew for example that uh famine in ethiopia was mm-hmm. uh w- you know was probably not small enough to win that's a that's a big one and that's hard sure. uh, and that's a lot of things that are out of our control <laughs> there are other issues like that as one of the things that we really came to kids in the united states who were hungry is uh we had discovered so almost by accident i'd read a washington post article a number of years ago that talked about how the district of columbia uh had turned back i think it was i don't know what 500 or seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the federal government that they hadn't used uh, for school meals because not all the kids who were eligible for school breakfast were actually getting it. Yep. Uh, so I thought, well, that's weird. Here's a city that has terrible poverty and a challenging situation with its schools. Uh, to the notion that the, the, that the district government would be giving the federal government money back <laughs> when we know kids are here. So we started to look and we found out that that was going on absolutely everywhere. It was. Fact, yeah. There were 22 million kids in the country who got a free or reduced price school lunch. And of the 22 million, uh, all of whom were also eligible for breakfast, only 9 million of the 22 million were getting breakfast. So that meant that you could literally go to a governor in the country, which is what I'd spent a lot of my time doing these past two years, and say, uh, you know, governor, you've left about $150 million or $200 million in Washington that could only be used to buy bread from your bakers and, you know, milk from your dairy farms, Light and supplies from your vendors to, to feed your kids. Really? And whether, the, whether they were Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, they would be, what do we have to do to get that money? And we would talk to them about some of the ways that they can enroll more kids into the 
school breakfast program. So it just seemed eminentable, you know, when you think about uh, how many issues do we all care about? You take child cancer, as you've referred to, uh, take the environment, climate, whatever it is, where there are literally several billion dollars account somewhere that aren't being used yeah <laughs> right we have all these battles in our country over the budget and whether we're going to spend more or spend less or increase taxes or decrease taxes and here we've got money that's been appropriate that has partisan support uh it got a track record of great effectiveness and it's just sitting there not being used yeah so it was almost like uh almost too good to be true but it turned out to be true i wonder if if people to that point um you know unless it affects them personally if it doesn't at all resonate enough with them like i'm sure you know you encounter a lot of people obviously that have a huge heart they say they want to do something but you know when i was growing up i didn't you know i was probably a little bit below middle class my family i wouldn't have known any different as a kid but to your point i only thought people that were really starving we're in Africa. They were on the other side of the planet. So when I was in high school, I focused on that famine. I I created a whole program around project Ethiopia, where a lot of kids were donating their lunch money and we would take all that and put it together and send that over to to Africa. And, you know, it's probably the only award brand that I ever won as Walt Disney world's dreamers and doers (laughs) award. I won it for that thing, but, (laughs) but that's where my mind went is, you know, people that are starving were somewhere else. And, I want to say, Billy, I may be wrong, but I remember seeing a CBS News clip when Scott Peely was on there about Central Florida, Orlando. You were talking about D.C., but here I am, both Brant and I live in Central Florida, and it was like one of the worst cities in the United States for childhood hunger. And I just, I guess unless I'm around it on a regular basis and living that, I just don't know any difference. So, you know, the work that you've been able to do is not only just make it readily available. And as you said, it's not just you. You've got a killer team out there who are focusing on getting food in in the classroom because we know kids can't learn. They can't study if they're hungry. So I'm thinking, what, you know, what can we do now at this step? I know we're at one in seven. And I guess ultimately your whole goal should be to put yourself out of a job, right? Don't you want to eliminate hunger? Where does share our strength go next? Or what can we do to maybe get rid of that entire thought of we still have kids that are going to bed hungry in this country? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it's one that we're wrestling with in a real time way. And I'll give you an example that to me was uh, very exciting about what the opportunity is. Um, so we were just out in the uh, El Monte School District in, uh, outside of Los Angeles. Um, so it's inland from L.A. They've got uh, 7,000 students in the El Monte school system. 2,500 of the 7,000 are homeless. 97% of the 7,000 are on free or reduced price meals, school meals. So they're you know very close to the poverty line. Uh, a large number of the large percentage of the school population is either Hispanic or Asian. And so a fair number of undocumented parents. Now in the past, that would be a a prescription for a guarantee, a social determinant that these kids are hungry. They're, they're low income, they're homeless. They are parents are undocumented. Um, so in the past, that would have meant you're hungry. Yeah. The, great thing about this visit for me was finding out that these kids are not hungry. Uh, tragically they're, they're poor and their families are, you know, stuck in poverty. Tragically they're food insecure and they have these socioeconomic 
stresses on them, which are not healthy, but, uh, it, but they're getting three meals a day. So in a, in a physiological sense, uh, you know, if they're getting breakfast, if they're getting lunch and we're, we're visiting an after school supper program, uh, they've actually got a chance to break out of this cycle of poverty, which, you know, generation after generation in many cases has trapped kids. So it's not like, uh, school meals and sufficient food is a panacea or a cure-all for all of society's problems. But to have a chance to learn, as you were just saying, you know, to have a chance to pay attention, to have a chance to be healthy in your classroom and succeed uh, gives these kids an opportunity to break out, which previous generations haven't had. And so, you know, to your really good question about what next, I think we'll get to the point um, and I mean, at relatively soon, frankly, not in a hundred years or yeah. 20 years, but maybe in 10, uh, I think we'll get to the point where we say, uh, these kids are being fed. Now let's figure out how to prevent them from being at risk of hunger in the first place. How do we get to some of these other root causes of why kids are hungry mm-hmm. and, uh, kind of the, the, I guess the sad kind of political, dynamic that we deal with is uh everybody's in favor of feeding a hungry child but not everybody is in favor of doing probably the best thing you can do for that child which is to find ways to help their parents and strengthen their families yeah and at the end at the end of the day we have to find ways to do that and i'm hoping that our success in uh eliminating childhood hunger will give people the confidence that uh you know maybe this maybe this community of folks uh has some ideas worth paying attention to as we climb the next higher hill I love that. I love it. And and to your point, then you're you know, I don't want to minimize it. You're sort of working right now on one symptom, and what you're ultimately saying is we we are going to solve this. There's no doubt about it. But ultimately, to get to the root cause, it's bigger. You got to go back to what can we do to help out the families and the community and the parents and all that before they get to that point. I think real quick clarification too for people that are listening that don't know. I think when we were all in school. You know, you had people that were on reduced lunch or getting free lunch, and it was sort of a stigma that if you were one of these kids that were in line or had to go to a special area or had to get to school early to get this free food, what you've been able to do is make this food available. These school systems have decided we're going to have we're gonna have food available in that first period, whatever it's called, whatever the level is, and it's there. And if you've already eaten, you don't need the food. If you haven't eaten you've got a, a, the ability to eat food without feeling that stigma, that shame that comes with, I don't have enough money or food at my own house. So, you know, just again, the work that you've been able to do and it really, you know, I'm hoping that you start to see, and maybe you've got stats on this where education scores start to go up, but certainly health, you know, from kids as they get a little bit older, certainly in their motivation, certainly in them being happier, less depression, you're hoping that those those are some of the things that come out of this as well, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And there are, uh, you know, we don't we don't have uh, uniform national statistics, but we do have statistics from different uh, communities <laughs> or states mm-hmm. that have been able to make them available. So Virginia is a really good example of a state who's collected a lot of data, uh, and they've got, um, and in combination also with some work we've done with Deloitte, the big international consulting firm, we have found that um, math scores in a lot of the schools we work in are 17% uh, higher. Attendance rates are two days longer. Um, in Virginia, they've actually uh, correlated standardized test scores for the statewide 
achievement tests uh, and seeing that they're higher in the schools that have breakfast in the classroom. Nice. So we'll continue to gather that data and roll it up to some national that I think will be really persuasive for people. That's great. I'm reminded, you know, Billy, as I sort of, it, it just gives me a lot of hope that you have been able to sort of figure out a game plan to actually move the needle on this and, and make a significant difference. You know, when my son uh, required a bone marrow transplant back in 2012, and, you know, we started to learn about something again, when I look at your thought of pick the battles that are big enough to matter, but small enough to win, you know, the, the bone marrow registry uh, in the United States has about 20 million people on it. Um, and there is a 77% chance if you are white, that you will find at least one match within the registry. Mm. However, if you're African American, there's only a 23% chance that you're going to find uh, a match because the donor pool uh, for African Americans within the bone marrow registry is a fraction of the total amount. And and there's a number of reasons for that over the course of the history of our country and, and sort of a, a lack of trust in that community um, when it comes to medical issues and, and DNA and, and all these other sorts of things that, that are a real factor and a real problem that I look at that is that to me is something that really fits your thought, which is this is something that's really big enough to matter, but small enough to win, but we have yet to really find the solution um, as you as you have been able to sort of move the needle in yours. I, I am hoping that the people in that community can find a way to start to add people to that registry um, of different ethnicities so that they don't face the same uh, issues that they do right now. I mean, there's a fraction of a chance of finding some uh, a match that that is just a shame when it's not like there aren't enough people to here to actually join the registry and, and, and up the percentage of, of finding someone who could save a life. So it gives me hope that, um, that this is something that actually is small enough to win with smart enough people mm -hmm. looking for answers. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and even the small enough to win category, uh, those things take time, you know, they don't happen overnight. We've been nothing if not stubborn at share strength. And so, yeah. you know, 35 years later, we started to get some, traction that's really getting us to scale but uh it, those things they take time they do well this is probably perfect because that some of that pain that you're talking about and and the ultimate outcome that you you really are seeking for brandon is perfect for what our thought is too so and and hopefully billy this will be a nice correlation to uh to yours as well brant what what is our thought that rocks this week thoughts that rock number two yeah, so our uh, thought that rocks this week comes from H.G. Wells, and it's this. We are kept keen on the grindstone of pain and necessity. And when we first looked at this, Billy, we just said, gosh, in relation to what you've been able to accomplish um, and understanding the struggles and the battles that you've had to fight along the way to, to have the impact that you have finally been able to accomplish, um, we look at this and say that didn't come without its fair share of, of pain and failure and um, tribulations that, that weren't what you were going for. But yet that doesn't mean it's not worthy of stopping the effort, right? And so you've been able to sort of 
pull yourself up by your bootstraps when, when you have failed, um, and still continue to find a way to move forward. Uh, and I think that some of that has to happen through pain, number one, um, but also the true need for a solution. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would. I, I love the, I love your thought that rocks. It really does rock. And I particularly like the notion of the, the grindstone. You know, I'd, I'd uh, written a book, you'd mentioned that I'd written a couple of books. One of them was called The Cathedral Within, and it was about cathedral building as a metaphor for how you could work on something your whole life and not see it finished uh, and how almost in the words you were just saying that doesn't take away from your dedication or craftsmanship or make it unworthy it actually might make it even more worthy so you know Mm -hmm. all the great cathedrals took 500 years to build and so everybody who worked on them only knew one thing which is that they wouldn't see their work finished in their lifetime and that uh, didn't take away from or diminish their commitment it actually fueled it because they knew that they were part of something larger than themselves so there was a sense of sacrificing and kind of the pain that you were talking about um and uh, the necessity of sacrifice but it was gonna you know because anything great truly great really requires that none of these things happen overnight none of them can be done on the cheap um you know, if, if they were easy to do, somebody else would have done them. So, you know, a lot of folks um, find themselves working on the things that nobody has done yet. Uh, and by definition, those are usually harder. Like Elon Musk and SpaceX. I mean, I think about this all the time. I go, geez, you know, how, how many failures has he had or that group had when, when trying to, you know, ultimately get us to Mars? They've had explosions during launch or booster rockets that have not landed on target and have been lost at sea. And, you know, each of these innovative steps come with some painful challenge, but ultimately it's it's going to lead to some big-time rewards, and somebody has to be the catalyst. And I think that the quote that you picked from H.G. Wells' brand is, is brilliant. And I think, again, it kind of goes back to Billy's stuff, too. You've got to go out there knowing that there are going to be some failures, there's going to be some pain, but the reward, even that analogy of the cathedral, I think is brilliant. You, you might not see the ultimate end, but that shouldn't stop us from focusing on it anyway. I agree completely. I think it's, it's when, when I think of, of that, Billy, it's, it's to me, it goes so much for, I mean, we think of something like building a cathedral that, you know, it's, it's hard in this country sometimes to have perspective on the length of time (laughs) that, that has existed uh, as opposed to going over to Europe or, you know, I, I've uh, spent some time in, in Barcelona a few years ago and, and was literally standing Gaudi's great cathedral. Uh, yeah, right. And and uh, and was able to move out of town a little bit to go see the Black Mary uh, in a you know a statue from 50 A.D. <laughs> in a, um, a sort of a monastery that was built around 700. And just crazy. That, that we just don't have anything in this country that we can compare something like that to. But uh, you know, I think it translates right down to our lives, right? And and the and the work that we do and understanding that. You know, just the 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 positivity you're trying to put out in the world, and that that impact, that positive impact you're trying to create in the world, might not be realized in your lifetime. But that doesn't mean it's not worth trying. And um, you know, I, I, watching all these debates on TV and and just wanting to run as fast as I can into a wall um, <laughs> to knock myself out is just. Uh, 
part of the pain that has to come with if we're going to move forward, it's still, we have to deal with the grindstone, right? Which is just, it's part of the process. Um, but, but change is necessary. And if we're going to get to that other side, to something better than what we are right now, whether that's hunger or whether that's adding more people and wiping out things like cancer for, for, uh, for the bone marrow registry, you know, it is a need that exists that is not going away. Um, and we have to be willing to work through the pain to find those solutions. Well, I, I think you said that really well. And it reminds me. And one of the things that we try to keep in mind here is that, um, you know, most really great causes uh, are, are never completely lost or completely won. <laughs> they, they, they need to be refought constantly. So, you know, we went through this civil rights struggle in the United States and the, 50s and 60s and passed the Voting Rights Act. And we still have, uh, you know, uh, terrible examples of voter suppression and yeah. uh, not nearly enough people turning out to vote. And uh, we're not done there. Yeah. You know, we still got we still got work to do. Um, so what what at the time seems like a tremendous victory, um, you know, in context, you realize there's there's still more to be done. Yeah. And uh, I think that's true of both the wins and the losses. You know, as I was thinking, um, started thinking about this brand when you were talking, it, it reminds me, I'm going to, I'm going to get meta here for a second. It reminds me of tithing at church, right? If scripture says that you ought to provide 10% of your first gifts, that not what's left over if you can, but your first crop, your first dollars, whatever it is, even though it may be extremely tough to give up and, and part with that, you know, time and time again, those that give will absolutely swear that what they get back is tenfold, right? Whether it's comfort or grace or financial reward or opportunities or whatever it is. And so I think, you know, just to put it in our own perspective to, to go through the pain, I'm tying the two thoughts here for a second to go through the pain and the necessity really, and the grindstone to make things happen, you're going to have to, to give up some things and maybe, you know, it's more than just thinking about it. You've got to give up your time or your money a little bit. And it goes back to what you're working on, Billy. I think I would much rather give up a part of my company, a small percentage or whatever those proceeds are or time to say, I want to make a difference. I may not see the end again, going back to the cathedral analogy, but that's not going to stop me. Whether I get something in return or not is, is regardless, but I'm going to get something in return. If for no other reason, I feel like I've done my part. So, you know, I know that our time is wrapping up here. What, um, you know, what are you guys working on and maybe how could people donate and involve themselves in share our strength a little bit more? Well, the thing I, one of the many things I like about working on this issue of hunger, particularly childhood hunger is it feels to me like there's a role for everybody. Literally you know, our, our organization is called uh, share our strength uh, because of our conviction that everybody does have some strength to share. Everybody has something to give back. And with the hunger issue in particular, uh, there are lots of organizations that need volunteers, particularly organizations on the front line of feeding people, food banks and pantries. Lots of organizations need donations. I think the most important thing people can give, though, is their voice. Yeah. Uh, being being advocates, uh, speaking up for those who are voiceless and vulnerable and marginalized, making sure that policymakers understand more about this issue, both the problem that exists and the fact that the, sol the solutions are right in front of us. So there's really a way for everybody to share their strength on the issue of ending hunger. Love it. And if they wanted to maybe just get a little bit more information about Share Our Strength, we could obviously send them to the website or maybe uh, how could people get in touch with you or get in touch with the organization? 
Yeah, I think websites, ECS, nokidhungry.org or shareourstrength.org. Uh, or, and I'm always glad to hear from people. My email is bshore at strength.org. Wow, great. We will definitely put that in the show notes then if, uh, if you're cool with that. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we can't thank you enough for just spending time. I know it was only a half an hour, but uh, again, I, I encourage everybody to go and look in the show notes at all of the information that we talked about, but certainly your biography and, and just take a, a little bit of a gander. You know, maybe there are a lot of people out there that are not engaged in some sort of a charitable organization. Um, just knowing that there are people that are struggling right in your backyard. And this is such an easy thing to do to your point, Billy, whether it's your voice or standing up for those in need, sometimes a, a few dollars, you know, that's the way to help as well. Um, check out shareourstrength.org or nokidhungry.org. But seriously, buddy, just, uh, you're, you're a personal hero of mine. I'm going to continue to do some work and pound on my chest as much as we possibly can for you. Well, thanks. Thanks for bringing attention to this. I'm really thrilled that uh, your listeners will get a chance to learn more about our work and uh, really grateful for your personal passion for it. So thanks, guys. You got you it. Bet. We love you, man. We'll talk thanks, to you Billy. soon. Rock on. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we're exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to KeplerSpeakers.com. Until next time, rock, rock on. on! Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.